Let me give you a quick review of the last two weeks. Let's read, first of all, Psalms 23. Just follow. If you want to say this, this is in the Revised Standard. Some of you have committed this to memory, probably in the King James, but just listen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Two weeks ago, we gave this brief outline of Psalms. And if you'll put this up for us, Mackenzie, back up one, please, if you will. According to Robert Daniel, he's a Bible scholar who wrote a book entitled How to Study the Psalms. He says that the theme of Psalms 23 is this, God's wonderful care. And this is the outline he gives for this psalm. Now, I think this is very important for you to see this and understand how David focuses in on how God has been such a vital and active part of his life. In verses 1 through 3a, or the first phrase in verse 3, God's wonderful care as a shepherd. And then in the latter part of verse 3 and verse 4, God's wonderful care as a guide. Boy, that is, there's some tremendous stuff in that, God being our guide. And then in verses 5 and 6, God's wonderful care as a host. You remember two weeks ago that we said in the Hebrew, the title of Psalms means praises. It is a book praising God. Then when the Bible was translated in the Greek, the Psalms, the title became Samoi or Psalms. And that word means songs that are accompanied by stringed instruments. And folks, here was the point. The book of Psalms are Israel's hymns. They're songs of worship. If God could have an iPod, this would be in his iPod. The songs of the people that are praising him. The book of Psalms could be compared to Caleb in our day. And folks, I'm bringing all that up is because the reason I'm bringing all that up, Psalms 23, most of the times is read at funerals. And I believe that sometimes we, equivo- we equivocate or we, we equate Psalms 23 with either funerals or older people or grief or sorrow. But folks, David is writing this as an act of joy and worship. The book of Psalms was written over a period of 900 to 1,000 years. And folks, my point in saying that is this. God was active then, and he is active now. And I want to tell you something. God we serve has been active ever since creation, and until Jesus Christ comes back again for his church, he's going to be wide open. Amen? That's a type of God that we serve, and this is what the psalmist is trying to say. There are many writers of the psalms. It's thought that King David wrote the most, perhaps even 73. 
And there are at least, at least 13 categories of the psalms. And again, I want to quickly run over these. Hallelujah are praise songs. A lot of the psalms are just about praising God. There's thanksgiving songs. There's songs of prayer and supplication. Many of the psalms are basically prayers that the people offered. There's the acknowledgement and confession of sin, like Psalms 32 and Psalms 51. There are psalms that give the sacred history of how God dealt with Israel. There's the Psalms that declare that the Lord reigns, and he truly does. There's special services or feasts that the Psalms are about. There's trust and devotion songs, and apparently Psalms 23 is one of these trust psalms. There's psalms that describe how the pilgrims who have been in exile are going to Jerusalem to worship God. There are songs about creation. And you know who the psalmist attribute creation to? To God. Not to the Big Bang or not to evolution, but to God Almighty himself. And they're wisdom psalms. And then they're prophetic and messianic psalms that point to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they're psalms that invoke God's judgment upon those that have victimized and harmed Israel. Folks, there are 186 quotations from the psalms in the New Testament, more than any other book. And what thrilled my soul as I was reading one commentary, the writer said that perhaps... Jesus, as a boy, learned many psalms while sitting on his mother's knees. Jesus, as he is being crucified on the cross, quotes the psalms. Folks, I said all that to say this. The book of Psalms is a very important part of the word of God. God desires for you and me, God desires for every generation of believers that we would have a song in our heart, a testimony about our God. There's nothing wrong with you and I saying, praise the Lord, and then telling somebody why. We can tell through our songs about God who he is and what he has done and what he is doing right now in our lives. And we need to ask ourselves again, do we have a song in our heart for God? And my prayer is that after for several weeks we've had this brief study in Psalms 23, we will begin to praise God more than we ever have before. And let me share something with you. And this is a thought that hit me one day as I was sitting in my study. If our relationship with God, if our Christianity is boring and lifeless, it is because we have made it that way. According to the writers of Psalms, God is not boring and he is not lifeless. Amen. You and I get behind the Lord and follow him. It will be the most exciting life we've ever been a part of. So let's get into Psalms 23. The author is David. David, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and a heart full. Now listen to this. I believe that David's heart is full of God's love and God's mercy, and it's full of God's forgiveness. How long has it been since my heart and your heart were full of the love and the mercy and forgiveness of God? Folks, are we experiencing his love on a day-to-day basis? Listen, David concludes the psalm by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
and I'm getting ahead of myself, but there'll never be a day in our life as a child of God that it will not be filled with the mercy and grace of God. But folks, think about, think about this psalm. I believe that David wrote these words in Psalms 23 probably toward the end of his life. Think about the many things that David had experienced in his life. And let me just, let me just give you just a few. In 1 Samuel 16 and 17, there's a lot of information about David. He was raised in a humble, God-fearing family. He was the youngest of many sons, and he became a shepherd boy. But this shepherd boy was selected by God and anointed by God to be king over Israel. By the power of God, David not only killed a lion and bear that attacked his sheep, but he also killed Goliath. God protected him even as Saul and all of his enemies tried to kill him. And folks, David served as king over Israel for 40 years, according to 2 Samuel 5.4. At the age of 30, he became king and reigned until he was 70. Folks, David, though, like you and I, had many high points and low points in his life. He rebelled and sinned against God by an adulterous relationship with a woman named Bathsheba. And because of his lust for Bathsheba, he had her husband, Uriah, murdered. He denied his sin before a whole nation of Israel, but then God sent the prophet Nathan to confront him, and he confessed his sin. And then the child that was born in this adulterous relationship died. Not only did David grieve that child's death, but then later on Absalom, his own son, rebelled against him and sought to kill his father, and Absalom was killed. Folks, that's a brief summary of David's life. David had so many joys and sorrows, so many difficult and painful experiences in his life. But Psalms 23 is David's testimony about how God remained faithful to him and loved him. So with all that in mind, let's begin looking at Psalms 23. In the first two verses, in the first part of verse 3, David talks about God's wonderful care as a shepherd. Last Sunday or two weeks ago as we were closing the message, you remember I pointed out that I believe that the first five words in Psalms 23 are the most revealing words perhaps in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. Now let me ask you something. And be honest, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Uh, If you were here two weeks ago, do you remember what that means? If you do, would you raise your hand? Not trying to embarrass anybody. Do you remember what that means? Oh, come on. I don't want to have to tell this story again. Y'all embarrassed to raise your hand? Y'all don't remember the story about the army chaplain telling the soldiers, the Lord is my shepherd? Of course you do. You just don't want to raise your hand, do you? (laughs) If you're a visitor here... I put them to sleep two weeks ago, okay? They didn't, they didn't even hear that story. The Lord is my shepherd. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to say, rather than tell that story again, I wanted those of you that remember it, if you would volunteer, if somebody would come up to you and say, I wasn't here two weeks ago, tell me what it means. Folks, I want to tell you, we need to know what the Lord is my shepherd means. Folks, he's with us every single day. Folks, listen. Those five words say much about our God. He is our shepherd. 
And secondly, it says much about you and I. It implies that as human beings, we are compared to sheep. But folks, let's break these five words down. I want you to look at the first two words, the Lord, the Lord. Have you ever given much thought to those two words, the Lord? Now, I'm not not trying to put you on the spot because I hadn't. You know, we read these words, we say these words, the Lord is my shepherd. But folks, let me point something out. This expression, the Lord, the Lord being in capital letters, is perhaps the most significant name for God in the Old Testament. There there are many names that are given to God in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, over 6,000 times, the expression, the Lord, is used. And that, that literally is used for the name in Hebrew, Yahweh. Now, I'm not going into that because I know that Hebrew language doesn't mean a lot to you, and I've forgotten a lot about it myself the two years I had to take it in seminary. But folks, this concept, the Lord, is the personal and proper name for Israel's God. And I want to point out three things, at least, that this name implies. And folks, please hang with me, okay? Because just notice from now on how many times when you read in the Scripture the expression, the Lord, the Lord. And when you read that name for God... I hope you'll think about these three things. First of all, this expression, the Lord, speaks about God's eternal existence. Now, again, I'm not trying to get deep this morning. I'm trying to share some of the simplest truths about our God. When David says that God is the Lord, he is talking not only about the God who has been a part of his life, but let me begin to tell you some of the things that he's saying. And the Hebrew people knew this. He was speaking about the creator God back in Genesis 1 who spoke and the world came to being. He is speaking about the God who called Abraham in Genesis 12. He is speaking about the God who made a covenant with the people of Israel. He is speaking about the God who delivered the Hebrew slaves. He is speaking about the God who revealed himself to Moses. He is speaking about the God who throughout the Old Testament reveals himself in love, mercy, forgiveness, deliverance, and judgment. And folks, if you don't hear anything else, please hear what I'm about to say. The expression, the Lord, speaks of the God who is above all other gods. Now listen to this. Throughout the Old Testament, the people struggle with who will be their God. In our world, in every generation, there is a struggle about who truly is God. Let me just read some verses to you. I, I want, uh, we're going to have these on the screen. This is long passages. There are two passages, one out of Isaiah 40 and one out of Isaiah 44. And I'm going to be reading these to you, and I hope you'll jot these. Just If you just jot these passages of Scripture down, if you read them and study them in your own translation of the Bible. And I'm, this is out of the Good News Bible. Now, I've told you that in my, in my private personal devotions, I use the Good News Bible because it's just plain, straight English. And that's what I can comprehend. But listen to Isaiah 40. 
Listen to the prophet Isaiah. To whom can God be compared? How can you describe what he is like? Listen to those two questions. How do we describe God? The people, the believers in the Old Testament described him as the Lord. Now, folks, there's so much in this that we could, we could talk about. How do you and I describe God? Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. But folks, before Jesus, listen to what the prophet Isaiah is saying. To whom can God be compared? How can you describe what he is like? He is not like an idol that workers make that metal workers cover with gold and sit in a base of silver. Anyone who cannot afford silver or gold chooses wood that it will not rot. He finds a skillful worker to make an image that won't fall down. Do you not know? Were you not told long ago? Have you not heard how the world began? It was made by the one who sits on his throne above the earth and beyond the sky. The people below look as tiny as ants. He stretched out the sky like a curtain, like a tent in which to live. He brings down powerful rulers and reduces them to nothing. They're like young plants just set out and barely rooted. When the Lord sends a wind, they dry up and blow away like straw. To whom can the holy God be compared? Is there anyone else like him? Look up at the sky. Who created the stars you see? The one who leads them out like an army. He knows how many there are and calls each one by name. His power is so great. Not one of them is ever missing. Israel, why then do you complain that the Lord doesn't know your troubles or care if you suffer injustice? Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He created all the world. And let me stop right there. And, and folks, I'm not up here to try and belittle or be critical of others. I don't know exactly how God did all the creation, but I believe that he did. He spoke and it, and it, and it came into existence. I am frustrated with a world that is trying to shut God out of everything. And I'm not saying that just as a minister. Folks, maybe God did use a, a cosmic bang. I don't know. But I believe behind it all was God. Give him the credit that he deserves. And it, and it bothers me. On Saturday mornings, one of my joys now is Ella and I sit and watch the Zula Patrol. Now, I'm getting real deep now. Have any of y'all seen the Zula Patrol? Do you mind raising your hand if you've seen the Zula Patrol? Y'all, get up early so you can see the Zula Patrol, okay? The Zula Patrol is a, is a children's show about science. And, and they were explaining how our moon was created. Some think that an asteroid hit the earth and caused particles to break loose and it formed our moon. And they tell me, as a Christian, I got blind faith. Folks, I want to tell you, if you can believe that a cosmic accident caused the moon, don't tell me that I can't believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world and the Son of God. Folks, all we got to do is get back in this book and find out that the everlasting God is the creator God. 
And folks, trying to tie all this together, what David is saying in the beginning of the psalm, that the God who is his shepherd goes all the way back into eternity and he created the worlds. Folks, we need to wake up. Our God is not dead. He ain't even sick. And he's been here since eternity. And he's going to be here throughout eternity. And folks, we can just, and I read this psalm so often, and I don't get the, the, the impact of what David is saying. He is claiming this God who is his shepherd is the one who created everything that's on the face of this earth. Folks, our God is the everlasting God. He created all the world. Listen to this. He never grows tired or weary. No one understands his thoughts. He strengthens those who are weak and tired. Even those who are young grow weak. Young people can fall exhausted, but those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. And here from Isaiah chapter, what is this? Chapter 44. Look at this. Look at this. And I love the background on that. Fran didn't know it, but that's the background of some of the Zula Patrol, okay? It shows the universe. Apparently, that's the Hubble telescope has, has taken this picture. But listen to this. I, please, if y'all are science teachers, I'm not trying to knock science. I'm just saying, let's put God in his proper place. And I know that's not politically correct anymore. But, you know, we ain't been called... We haven't been called to be politically correct. We've been called to be like Jesus Christ who told the truth. Let me get back on track, okay? Here's Isaiah 44, 6 through 20. And again, do you get the pitch behind this? The people made idols in that day. And because they had worshipped idols, their, their lives had gotten messed up. Folks, I want to tell you, when we worship the idols of our day, regardless if they're made by hands, regardless if it's money, fame, lust, whatever it is, it is a path of destruction. And remember, the Lord is going to lead us in the path of what? Righteousness. We'll get to that in a little while, okay? Not today, all right? Here's Isaiah 44. The Lord who rules and protects Israel, the Lord Almighty has this to say. I am the first, the last the only God. There is no other God but me. Could anyone else have done what I did? Who could have predicted all that would happen from the very beginning to the end of time? Do not be afraid, my people. You know that from ancient times until now, I have predicted all that would happen, and you are my witnesses. Is there any other God? Is there some powerful God I never heard of? All those who make idols are worthless, and the gods they prize so highly are useless. Those who worship these gods are blind and ignorant, and they will be disgraced. It does no good to make a metal image to worship as a god. Everyone who worships it will be humiliated. The people who make idols are human beings and nothing more. Let them come and stand trial. They will be terrified and will suffer disgrace. The metal worker takes a piece of metal and works with it over a fire. His strong arm swings a hammer to pound the metal in the shape. As he works, he gets hungry, thirsty, and tired. The carpenter measures the wood. He outlines a figure with chalk, carves it out with his tools, and makes it in the form of a man, a handsome human figure to be placed in his house. He might cut down cedars to use or choose oak or cypress wood from the forest, or he might plant a laurel tree and wait for the rain to make it grow. 
A person uses part of a tree for fuel and part of it for making an idol. With one part, he builds a fire to warm himself and bakes bread. With the other part, he makes a god and worships it. With some of the wood, he makes a fire. He roasts meat, eats it, and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, how nice and warm, what a beautiful fire. The rest of the wood he makes into an idol, and then he bows down and worships it. He prays to it and says, you are my God, save me. Such people are too stupid to know what they're doing. They close their eyes and their minds to the truth. They're... The maker of idols hasn't the wit or the sense to say, some of the wood I burned up, I baked some bread on the coals and I roasted meat and ate it, and the rest of the wood I made into an idol. Here I am bowing bowing down to a block of wood. It makes as much sense as eating ashes. His foolish ideas have so misled him that he is beyond help. He won't admit to himself that the idol he holds in his hands is not a god at all. Folks, here's the point. The God that David mentions as being his shepherd is the God above all gods. And folks, again, think about this. This God is the God not only who created the world, but who sent his son to die on the cross. This same God of Psalms 23 is the one who raised his son from the grave. This is the same God who raised his church and empowered it by the Holy Spirit. This same God is the God who is in control of all human history. This is a God to whom all will meet and stand before one day. And folks, I believe that what this God is all about is he is the one that from the beginning, from the very beginning of history to the end of history, he is the one who is here. And folks, listen, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22-21, it is the same God. Folks, God is one. He doesn't age out. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13-8. Listen to this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Folks, listen, as you and I look from the New Testament perspective, the Lord Jesus is our shepherd, and we're going to see later on in John chapter 10 how he talks about being the good shepherd. Folks, listen, in saying the Lord, first of all, David is saying that this is the God who has existed eternally. And give me just a couple minutes to make a second point, and I'll close, okay? Not only is he the eternal God, he is the all-sufficient God. I want you to think about this for just a second. When God said to Moses in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Folks, that is always confusing as we read it in English. Why would God say such a thing that doesn't seem to have any meaning? You know what God is saying? He is saying to Moses that he would be for him and for all of Israel, all of the God, divine being that they would ever need. Folks, listen, and again, it's hard to get this Old Testament mind in our minds living in the New Testament. But for the people in the Old Testament, all other gods were false gods. As we've read from Isaiah's writings, they were the works of men's hands and imagination. And these man-made gods were a sure sign of, of their rebellion against the one true God. 
And folks, I want to point something else out. In the Old Testament, the prophets especially pointed out that God's made by the hand of men. Now listen to this. They cannot speak. They cannot hear. And they cannot act. Folks, that is the difference between the one true living God and all the gods that we make around us. And let me, let me, just, let me just use money for an example. If money is our God... Can that money speak to you and to me? Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking for sarcasm and say, well, your money speaks. And for some people, it does. But can money speak to my heart and your heart about having a right relationship with God? Can you and I get our checkbook or our cash or our credit cards to hear the aches within our heart? And all the things that we're searching for in life, can our money hear that? And again, I'm just using money as an example. And what can money do to give us eternal life? It cannot and will not. What can money do to give us purpose, except on a short-term basis for pleasure? Here's my point. Israel's God, David's God, our God is all that we need. Our God is a God of action. Our God is not dead. He is not make-believe. He is not outdated, and he is not out of touch unless we make him that way. And, folks, I want to point something out, and I'm closing with this, okay? What are our needs as human beings? Let me ask you something. What, basically, do you and I need? And I've got four things listed here, and I hope that you'll agree with me that these are four of the basic needs that we have. First of all, would anybody deny that we need love? Would anybody deny that? Listen to what the writer of 1 John chapter 4 says. He who does not love does not know God. But I want you to see that, those last four words. For God is love. Remember again, Psalms 23, for uh, Surely goodness and mercy, and those are Old Testament words to express the unfailing, undeserved love of God. Folks, will there ever be a day in which God does not love us? According to the scripture, no. God is love. What about light? Don't you and I need light? John eight twelve, and fast forward. Uh, through John 3.16. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the what? The light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How about bread? Listen to these verses out of John chapter 6, verse 33, 35, and 51. Listen to this. For the bread of God is that which came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And folks, don't we need water? Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And remember, he said this to the Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Folks, listen. 
these words of David are not just clever words that he decided that he would write down and hope that he would impress people and they would think he was religious. You know what these words are? Is David's testimony about the one true God who shepherded him throughout life. Folks, this, this is just so rich. I mean, there are things in here that I never even imagined were in this psalm. And, and again, I've gotten so used to reading it at funerals that I think it's just for times of grief. Man, this is about living. This is about living. You know, I said I'm going to stop, and I am in a minute. All right. Um, listen, it says he leads men paths of righteousness. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, you know, in recent weeks, I've been thinking about all the different paths that you and I can go down. He will lead us to the path of righteousness, which is a path of life. Young people, what path are you going to choose? Folks, there's so much in this. I just ask you to go home and just sit down and and, and just meditate on what David is saying here. This eternal creator God wants to be our shepherd. He wants to love us. He wants to guide us. He wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to speak to us. Are we allowing him to do that? Before we close, here's a homework assignment again. Have you written your psalm yet? Have you? I'm not going to, if you want to come up here and read it, I'll gladly let you do that. We take one service, all service long, and people just come up here and, and read their psalms. That'll be just absolutely wonderful. But is there a song in our hearts about God? Are we telling other people about what God has done for us? He is very real. And he has been here since creation and he's going to be here out into eternity. We've got a God who loves us and who we can praise and we don't have to apologize for. People need to hear that the Lord is our shepherd. Let us pray. Father, I just pray that through the passages of Scripture about who you are and through David's song as testimony that you were his shepherd, I pray, Father, that you are placing a song in our heart to the one true God. Father, we truly are in a battle in our world Lord, Satan and his minions and all the forces of evil are trying to tell us that our God is just man-made and is imaginary and doesn't really have any relevance for our day. Father, help us to listen to you. Help us, Lord, to feel your touch on our lives. Help us to feel your presence with us daily. Help us to know that you are our shepherd and help us to follow you. And Lord, this morning, I pray that if there's someone here that you've been dealing with their heart about turning to you and being born into the kingdom of God, that even right now they would be willing to repent of their sin. They turn from the path that they're on and turn to you and follow you and receive your son as their savior and commit themselves to following you throughout the rest of their lives. And Father, I pray for all of us as Christians 
Lord, I pray that we don't just talk to talk, but I pray that we walk to walk. I pray, Father, that we would get back on the right path if we've gotten on the wrong one. And I just pray, Father, that our, our lives would truly be a song of praise and testimony about who you are and what you've done for us. Bless us in these moments of invitation, for we ask in Jesus' name.